Amen. You can be seated this morning. Friends, the past several weeks, we have been hearing the um, readings from the letter of Paul to the church in Rome. You may remember that this is a church that Paul had never actually been with when he wrote this letter. But it is in some ways considered the magnum opus of his theology and his, his, a summary of his understanding of God's grace, which is undefeatable. But Paul also recognizes that this makes for a challenge, or at least raises a question. Here it is. In simple terms, if God loves us no matter what, then why be good? Or put another way, if grace grows in proportion to our need, should we just do more and more of whatever we want? (laughs) Paul addresses this question in our reading this morning. I invite you to listen for what the Spirit may be saying to you through this reading from Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 14. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with Christ like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we die with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to God as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under the law, you are under grace. This is the word of God for all people. Thanks be to God. Oh, okay. Thanks. Will you join your heart with mine for a word of prayer? Oh, holy love. Grant us even more than we know how to ask. Clear away in this moment everything that distracts us. Strengthen our sense of you. 
Hold us as you already are in your heart of love in such a way that we may feel you present. O God, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts that they might be found pleasing and acceptable in your sight. O God, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. I want to begin this morning with, uh, by saying what a delight it is to be home right here with you all. As some of you may know, I do a lot of traveling, and it's uh, a real uh, privilege to uh, accept the invitation from you, Pastor Beth, and to be with all of you to share this good news that we know by another name called the gospel. I want to say also a special word of thanks to Beth, and I'm not meaning to embarrass her, but it needs to be said out loud for your remarkable leadership of our congregation. You are good. If you remember nothing else that I said, remember that, okay? <laughs> I want to thank you for your leadership in our association, and more particularly for uh, Beth is our chair of our annual gathering planning committee for the conference, and this year the gathering is going to be September 27th and 28th. The theme is caring for our common ground, loving creation, addressing the vital call that we have as people of faith who understand science to be a vital partner in the enterprise of the human experience, to steward ever more faithfully, <coughs> excuse me, the precious planet on which we live. Visitors are encouraged to this event. Let me just be quick to add just one more thing. We're also gonna be voting on a name change for the conference. Moving from the Ohio Conference to the Heartland Conference which we hope will provide us with a more inclusive description of who we are in our life together, and also provide for us a more theological and spiritual focus to the work that we share. Now, all of this that I've just said may sound like just a shameless plug, but let me set a little bit of context for some of the connections that some of you know about, but others of you may not. As the Transitional Conference Minister, it's my great honor and privilege to bring to you greetings this morning from the 338 other congregations that make up the Ohio Conference, which includes also two congregations in West Virginia and seven in Northern Kentucky, just across the river from Cincinnati. I also bring you greetings from the Reverend Dr. John Dorhauer, our General Minister and President, with whom I was in conversation this past Monday. He asked me to bring, your, bring greetings to you on his behalf. And Tracy Blackman, our Associate General Minister for Justice and Local Church Ministry, and Jim Mose, our Associate General Minister for wider church ministries. I also bring you greetings on behalf of our nearly 300 global partners in 80 different countries around the world who share in our response to meet God's, all God's people at the place of deepest human need. Even more, I bring you a card of blessing. So here it is. I'm a little needle with a little thread of love and my calling is to encourage all of you who are needles with little threads of love as God is weaving us into a tapestry of beauty. So as I go from one congregation to another, the congregation I've been at most recently, I've asked to sign a card of blessing for the next congregation. So this card, Beth, I wanna to give to you, comes from St. John's Church in Reading in the Cincinnati area. There are folks who've signed that as a blessing. What you need to know is that Pastor Beth has been giving me cards of blessing from all of you. So in addition to the card that I bring from the prior congregation, I've been bringing cards of blessing, you didn't even know this, 
from you to the congregations throughout the conference. And it's a gift. It is a gift. There is a card in the back for all of us to sign. As I'm, The next congregation I'm going to be with is the United Church of Christ Congregational in Vermilion, where Reverend Mindy Quellhorst is pastor. So I, I would just uh, encourage you to, to sign that so I can keep carrying this blessing on our, our shared behalf. Uh, if you haven't quite caught on yet, we are, we are in a web of mutual blessing and encouragement that day in and day out makes daily, daily expressions of love possible near and far. Our gifts to our church's wider mission make these life-giving connections possible right here in the Ohio Conference and all around the world. They provide daily on-the-ground food and water assistance to our folks hit by fire and flood and tornado, and around the world where war daily constitutes a struggle between life and death. Our son, Andrew, was involved in this kind of work for a time as a global mission intern well, on behalf of our Common Global Ministries Board of the United Church and Christian Church Disciples of Christ, serving as an intern in Beirut, Lebanon, where our shared ministry gets food and water relief to isolated communities in war-torn Syria. You may know that more than a third of the population of Syria is internally displaced refugees. This is daily, ongoing work, and you and I, we are part of it. You may know that we are a five-for-five five congregation in the UCC, and if you don't know what that means, it means that in addition to our church's wider mission, we've given to disaster relief through one great hour of sharing. Now, you may know that long after the TV cameras are gone, things have faded from the headlines, the work of rebuilding continues. Just this past Friday, I was in Dayton, where I observed the devastation that will likely take, they think, five years for full recovery. Our work with disaster ministries in the Ohio Conference will be a key partner in some of that work. I want you to be aware of it. Our Strength in the Church offering, which we've been receiving, helps to support seminarians. It helps to start new churches. It helps to invigorate churches that have decided they want a new season in their life together. Our Native American congregations are supported by our Neighbors in Need offering. The Christmas Fund supports retired pastors and their spouses who have served faithfully in smaller congregations, but in retirement struggle to make ends meet. So, why do I tell you all that? I tell you all that because I want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Again, if you remember nothing else, please hear that. Now that was my prologue. <laughs> Don't worry. I know, it's Father's Day, so. I mentioned earlier, it was mentioned earlier, that I'm the transitional conference minister of the Ohio Conference, of which we're all a part. But you know, friends, the truth is, we are all transitional conference ministers. Because to live the Christian life is to be in a season of transformation from one thing that we know to a deeper reality to which God invites us. So that our joy and the joy of the world may be more and more full. This place and work of transformation is precisely the place where the Apostle Paul has led us to in our reading from the sixth chapter of Romans this morning. Last week, as part of our Pentecost celebration, we heard about the way in which God's very spirit is being poured into our lives in such a way that transforms literally everything we may experience, beginning with suffering and leading to hope. Paul introduces in that chapter a complete 
transformation about how reality writ large is arranged. He dares to introduce the promise, the truth, and the reality that God's love always precedes anything we have done. We call this justification by faith. You may have heard of it before. And not only that, the energy that resists love, which he refers to as the sin of Adam, which seems so obvious in the world, and at least on some days in my own life, that energy is not actually ultimate. What is ultimate, Paul reminds us, is a death, that of Jesus, that can show forth love, capital L, love's power to bring life in your life and in mine. On the face of it, it makes no sense at all, mostly because the world operates by rule that you get what you deserve. Thank you very much. End of story. But Paul says, "Uh uh-uh. Say it with me. Uh Uh-uh. Yeah. The heart of the universe and beyond, who is beyond all of our names, but whom we call God, operates differently, actually. That heart, Paul reminds us, begins and ends in mercy. And not only that, Paul writes that where sin abounds, grace abounds even more. Sounds pretty good, doesn't it? It's why we call it the good news. (laughs) But as I mentioned earlier in our introduction to the scripture reading for this morning, this grace thing sets up kind of a conundrum. If God loves us so much anyway, if God is going to forgive me anyhow, if grace increases in proportion to my sin, then why not just do what we please? Of course, Paul anticipates this question with a couple of his own and then answers his own questions quite quickly. He writes, what then are we to say? Should we continue to sin in order that grace may abound? By no means, he writes. He could just as well have said, don't be ridiculous. (laughs) Our baptism, Paul reminds us, is a baptism that says goodbye to a life centered on that which only finally brings death. It invites us to the discovery and experience of a life of ongoing transformational love. You know, there are many ways that Scripture talks about baptism. Cleansing, dying and dying with Christ, being born in the Spirit. I have one that isn't exactly biblical, but which I think gets to the heart of the matter. I'm going to test it with you. Our baptism is actually an introduction to the reality that we are invited more and more to learn how to swim in the delight of God's self-giving love. To swim in the delight of God's self-giving love. All sounds good. But Paul recognizes, as likely you and I, as you have and I have too, that there's a resistance to this kind of invitation even when we've tasted that kind of love, even just a little bit. Sometimes, when I'm trying to follow the way of the Christ, I miss the mark, which is what the word we translate as sin from Romans actually means. The Greek word is hamartia. It's like an archer trying to hit a bullseye and the arrow goes whoop. The challenge, of course, is to stay focused on the target, which of course in this instance is the love of God. 
When I was a pastor at David's, there was a year when I had a confirmation class in my last years there of one. That one student was a dear friend named Ben who had some cognitive developmental challenges. Together with his grandparents, Ben and I walked a journey of discovery and learning about the Christian life in a way that Ben was frankly as much a teacher to me as I was to him. Because of his cognitive challenges, I realized that we were gonna have to focus more on experiences. So it came to pass to talk about this thing of missing the mark or sin. And I decided that we'd explore this by using one of those targets that has Velcro and Velcro balls, you know what I'm talking about? You can throw it at the target and it sticks. So I, I invited Ben and his grandparents and myself, all of us, we were going to turn around with the target behind us and throw the balls over our shoulder, see how it went. Now you might guess that none of us was successful at hitting the target. But when we turned around, which is what the word metanoia means, it actually means to go beyond the mind we carry. When we turned around, it was a different story completely. You may have noticed, as I have in my own life, that even then it can be hard to hit the target sometimes to stay focused on this life-giving love. Freedom can easily move into license and end up keeping us from the deep joy which love, capital L, seeks to offer. I was thinking about this as I was contemplating this text and studying it for being with you this morning. And three experiences from my own life came to mind that I hope might encourage you to think about your own life experience and your journey related to this free gift of grace and the challenges of taking it for granted or misusing it. Now I'm gonna warn you, all of these have to do with my early days of bicycle riding, something I dearly love to do. When I was five years old, my parents held an open house at the parsonage where we lived. My dad is a now long retired UCC pastor. His dad was a pastor. My uncles are pastors. It's an illness in our family. I'm just gonna come, <laughs> come clean with that, okay? So open houses for five-year-olds are not that great. Okay, I'm just gonna be honest. So I went out and found myself in the garage, not really doing much of anything, when, it, when an equally bored church member also came into the garage and noticed that we had bikes along the side of the garage. He asked if I knew how to ride, and I told him, well, my dad was helping me uh, learn how to ride, and I, I, uh, I, I needed somebody to hold the seat for me, honestly, to help me keep my balance. And he asked uh, if he could do that for me. And, and I quickly said yes. And we went out to the front sidewalk away from the crowd. I got on the bike. And I explained to the man just how my dad offered his support. The man nodded in understanding. So he held the seat and I started to pedal. I was thinking to myself, now this is an open house I can say yes to. <laughs> so I told the man how much I appreciated his holding a seat for me but he didn't respond. Upon which I turned around only to discover that he was not there. <laughs> he was back where we first started. And then it hit me. I had done it. With his launching help, I had done it. I was so excited, as were my older brothers who saw the whole thing, that I took my eyes off where I was headed and nearly ran into a tree. <laughs> But I quickly turned the bike around, I tried it again, I started down the, bus, the sidewalk, and then I experienced something I had never experienced before. It was freedom and delight. 
all wrapped together. A joy that I could not quite explain except that I knew I wanted more of that. Never could I have imagined going so fast on my own power. I was free. Now this was back in the day when you could ride your bike out with your brothers and sisters or you know siblings and ride all over town all day. Nobody really worried too much. Some of you remember those days, okay? So we're out all day one day pushing the pedals, you know, speeding down the sidewalk. I got the idea that I had to overtake my older brother, John. So I made a calculated decision to pass him on the side. I pushed the pedals even harder. Oh, freedom. If you've ridden a bike, you know what I'm talking about, right? Okay. Oh, yes. The only thing I had not calculated was how much space it would take to actually get around my brother. So instead of the smooth pass leaving my brother in the dust as I had imagined it in my mind... My wheel, front wheel went off the sidewalk onto the grass, which was a little bit lower. And before I knew it, before I knew what was going on, I was flipped down onto the ground, the handlebar punching my solar plexus to the point that I could not breathe. And for the first time in my life, I had a sense of my mortality. Yeah, just like that. Because, you know, breath, pneuma, ruach, which also means spirit, is not overrated, right? <laughs> I thought it was going to black out. But just at the right time, my brother turned around and came back to me. And he held my head. And he said, Dave, it's going to be okay. Just take your time. Sometimes, you know, the hand of God can look and feel like the hand of a sibling, related by blood, or as we know in this faith community, related by baptism. Now, about two years later, my cousins were out visiting from Philadelphia, and some of us were out biking. We're headed to my grandmother's house, and don't you know, we happened to come across a kid who had been bullying me. Now, on most days, I would have found another way around the block. But on this day, I was on my bike with my posse. <laughs> and, well, I was free and empowered. So he yelled out to me, and I rode over with my team of older relatives, cousins, and brothers. Not only did I ride over, I faced him. Oh, yeah. Oh, freedom, I thought to myself. He baited, or maybe I should say we baited each other. On this day, I was on my bike, and I ran my front tire right into him, and I knocked him down. Oh, yeah, free at last. Free at last, oh, God Almighty, I was free at last. Except, of course, that I wasn't free at all. Because you know, when you use your freedom in a way that misses the mark, the word gets around to people. Like your mother. <laughs> More specifically, my posse proved to be a little less in my court than I had imagined. Truth be told, they told the truth about me. To my mother, and my aunt, who looked at each other and then at me with a look that is still etched deeply in my memory as I share this story with you this morning. <laughs> a story, I must certainly tell you, I am not very proud of. 
My Aunt Lorene told my mother, I'll take this one. <laughs> As we say, oh dear. <laughs> but then she did something that surprised me. She sat down, invited me to sit on her lap, and she asked me to tell my version of the story. And after listening, she asked me one question. How do you think it felt for that boy to be knocked down by you? For him. That question convicted me. It built empathy in me. It turned me around with the grace that freed me from the illusion that retribution can actually heal. Let me say that again. It turned me around. It turned me around with the grace that freed me from the illusion that retribution can actually heal. So, Paul writes to the early church in Rome and reminds them that they've been given the gift of a life of loving freedom, the purpose of which is to focus on love, capital L, itself. That is the target, my friends. Through Christ, Paul reminds the early church in us that we have been given a portal to delight through which we've been invited through baptism to learn how to swim inside the love of God and to aid one another. No matter what, no matter who you are, I have to think in large part that this is what it means to live a shared life that is open and affirming of all God's people, which means everybody. Everybody. But Paul also knows that it's very easy to exchange the gift of our deepest delight for all kinds of arrangements of life that we think can fill us with ultimate joy. It might be trying to take the lead instead of letting God take the lead. It might be getting even. It might be any of a thousand things that temporarily seem like they can fill us up, but actually cause our aim to be directed towards something other than God's self-giving, merciful love. So, freedom, yes. License, no. But it can be hard to remember, and no matter how hard we try, the tire of our lives will sometimes slip off the sidewalk or knock somebody over. That's when it's especially important to remember again that God loves us ahead of anything we've done and after everything we've done and everywhere in between. And God, who can never cease to be love, is always seeking our healing and that of the world. But you may, as I do, need a little reminder or help along the way. So when you came in this morning, I hope you got a card that looks like this. If you did, I want you to take it. And if you didn't, we've got more in the back. The picture on the front is a rendering of Jesus that a friend of best of mine did, um, seminary classmate, who's a professional artist and a UCC pastor. And the inside is a prayer that I, I wrote inspired by the Lord's Prayer. I've been sharing this with every congregation I go to, and inviting, inviting 
folks, and as I invite you, to use it for your own personal devotion. Uh, in this way, we'll know that bit by bit, we are praying a shared prayer together. Now, I know we've got the Lord's Prayer, and I don't say this is in place of the Lord's Prayer or anything like that. But it's, a, I hope, a helpful, fresh framing. So what I'd like to invite us to is to read it prayerfully out loud, but don't put the amen on. And then we'll go in as Brian offers us some music, and I'll just offer some meditative thoughts, a little bit of silence, and then we'll end, okay? Will you join your heart with mine as we pray? O love, will you pray with me? Awaken me to the holiness which is you in me and in all creation. Let your love reign supreme in my heart and mind. Let it be enacted in my life. Help me remember that there is no division between people and time and heaven and earth, for all is one in and through you. Let food of body and food of spirit abound. May all be released in forgiveness so that the only debt is love. When I'm tempted to forget or try to run away from you, lead me on the grateful path back into your very heart of love. For there is no other place to be. All kingdoms, all power, all glory are yours. Now, I invite you to a moment of prayerful reflection. If your prayers for focus, may God grant you the grace of it. If it is for release from a burden you've been carrying, know that God has lifted the burden so you may be free. If you carry despair about the world, remember that in God's love there is no division that is final. All is one in and through the Holy One. If your life is filled with rushing and you need a pause, trust that God will hold your worry and grant you the grace of Sabbath rest. Even now, especially now. There is no other place to be in the heart of the one who can never cease to be loved. Yes, yes, 
yes. A thousand times yes. Amen and Amen.